one, guys. Hey, okay. This is, we're, a, we're an amazing mishpacha over here. It really is. Okay, so I want to talk about, uh, continue, uh, wisdom for life taught from Pukei Avot, some ancient wisdom. And we're going to continue on the theme of what we've been talking about till now. So last week, I spoke about giving benefit of the doubt. That's a very big one. Judge all of the person favorably. We spoke about that and we gave some uh, examples and how that relates actually to our health. Very much. Forget about the person that you're thinking about. It's your health. Most of our time, our mind is taking us in all different directions and it makes us think, oh, why didn't they say hello to me? Why didn't they respond to me? I was nice to them. Why didn't they invite me? Well, I'm not part of it. There's all these thoughts that go in our minds. And on the other hand, by the person that we're thinking about, they don't even know what's going on. You know, There's a whole world going on in our minds. So who is giving benefit of the doubt for? Yourself. Not for the person. Yeah, it's true. It's going to be healthier for the person that you're thinking about. But trust me, this is about you. In fact, most of Judaism is about you. Don't think it's for others. It's for you. It's not for God. It's for you. And that's the theme of a lot of what I teach also. So, if it's true that we should judge everyone favorably, then how does that work in terms of dating? How does that work when I'm meeting someone and they're not for me? Should I just say, judge them favorably every time? Or should I be able to turn away? So that was something that we spoke about as well. And we came to the conclusion that although I should judge someone favorably and give them benefit of the doubt, that doesn't mean that when it's to do with my own life, that I need to live with them or commit to them or do business with them. Somebody's got very bad ratings in terms of business. They're not trustworthy. Do I judge them favorably? Do I say it's their fault? They're evil? No, I don't judge them. I say to myself, maybe it's, you know, they have difficulty, they don't have money right now. I don't justify it, I don't think it's a good thing, but I understand to myself that maybe they're going through something. That's called giving benefit of the doubt. But, does that mean I should do business with them? Somebody's caught stealing multiple times, I should now do business with them? When it comes to me, giving benefit of the doubt doesn't apply. That, That rule applies to them. Not to me dating that person and saying, okay, I'm going to commit my life to them because I'm going to give benefit of the doubt. Or I'm going to commit my money to them because I'm giving benefit of the doubt. No, you have to be smart. And this applies to the next Mishnah, which is the seventh uh, teaching that we have so far. We've done seven different teachings. This is the seventh one, six different teachings. We're going to the seventh teaching of wisdom for life that we're going to be speaking about and focusing on tonight. So it says like this, Nitai the Arbalite, he was from a place called Arbali, and he would say, distance yourself, distance yourself from a bad neighbor, and do not cleave to a wicked person, and, do not, and finally do not abandon belief in retribution. You'll notice that whenever we read some of the texts that I'm reading, it always goes in the theme of three different sections. There's three parts. Most people are teaching three different themes. Like we say in, in, in uh, teaching, one, when you make one line, 
it's not connected. When you have two lines, there's no way that you can connect them all. But when you have three lines, you have a triangle and they're all interconnected. Okay, so whenever you see a, a three, you see, you're seeing a founding principle. A principle that everything interconnects to each other. So when it says, distance yourself from a bad neighbor and don't get close to evil and don't give up from punishments, they're all interconnected. And we're going to speak about that. So here's, here's a question that I want to ask you and I want you to throw me some words and ideas as a response. Why is it that we have a hard time turning away from people that are not good? Somebody who's not healthy. It may happen to you. It may not. I don't know. It depends on what level you are and how strong you are. But why is it that we fall to the trap of people that are not good for me? Whether it's, I'll date someone. I know they're not good for me, but stay dating with them. Or, I'll do business with someone and stay with them, even though I know that they're not healthy for me. I'll be around them under all conditions. Why is it? Have you, anyone got any good uh, ideas of why it's hard for us to turn away from bad? Yeah. I think because we need validation and it's more fearful to go out of your comfort zone to do something than to be uncomfortable. Like to right. So you're saying multiple things. First is validation. And the second you're saying, which is good, uh, is comfort. It's easier to just let it go, right? Is that, is that what you're kind of saying? Yeah. It's easier to just let it go than to turn away from someone. That takes work. I mean, that's what I understand. Yeah, that's good. Anyone else? Both are very important. Yes. Uh, bouncing off uh, what Elio was saying about, um, about comfort, the key word here is like a status quo. Like we're very, I think humans are very inertial creatures. Most of us are not very, most of, most of us are very like risk averse people. And once you have a certain status quo, it's very easy to rationalize why to stay in it and why not to take risks and Beautiful. You know, to, do, to, to do something that can lead to a radical change in your life. And not all radical ideas or radical changes will necessarily lead you to a good place, but sometimes, sometimes it is necessary. And, uh, you know, outside of relationships, like, one of the most important relationships you have in your life, besides, like, with whoever your significant other is, is, your one, is the one you have with your employer. And you don't want to starve, so sometimes it's very hard to leave your employer. Right. So in some ways, it's more of a leap of faith than being left alone. Right. We're committed to our past or our comfort zone um, that we've become to. Right. And then it's hard for us to let go. Uh, And that's, that's another point. Or sometimes, I think you were touching another point, which is beautiful, which is that we... We give up. We say, oh, I'm already in this. You know, I'm already that bad. So there's no chance. So you know, I may as well just stay there. Sunk you know? cost. What? Sunk cost. I don't know what that is. Is that a song or a movie? Or? You're in a bad position, so you're figuring, I might as well just like take all my losses instead of trying to improve my situation. Exactly. So that's, I'm already stuck in the mud, so let me just stay there. So these are all very good. Anyone else? Any other ideas? Anyone else? I wrote seven different, and they all come from the same, uh, same points that you basically said. Okay, let me tell you what I wrote, and basically what you all said. Number one is I wrote is uh, the strength or the ability to fight, to deal with confrontation. 
okay, which is basically what you're saying is just like there's a certain maturity and ability to deal with confrontation. And a lot of times we say to ourselves, I don't want to go through saying no to someone, so I'll stay with them. I don't want to go through being in this uh, uncomfortable space where I say, hey, please, I'm not interested. Let's say if someone's trying to date you and you're, you're not interested. So you know what? I'll just let them uh, be all over me and drive me crazy, right? That people would even do that, which is mind-blowing, right? So I'd put myself in a state where I don't, I'm very uncomfortable because I can't be bothered facing confrontation. And that needs to be worked on. How do we strengthen a confrontation? Okay, so that's, that's something, yeah. Yes. Confronting someone, but you know it makes them really uncomfortable, and you don't want to make them feel bad. The female condition. <laughs> yeah. So there's there's ways of doing it, which is avoiding. You know, there's certain situations where it can be very very difficult um, because it's very aggressive and harassing. If in that kind of situation, what you do is you make sure that you're with someone else, you're with other people. Uh, you're in an environment which is public. You know, you do everything that you can to avoid getting into that situation where you have to confrontate the person. So uh, that's the best tip I can give you. You know, at the end of the day, at some point, maybe you'll have to say no and you'll have to just make them feel uncomfortable. But if you want to avoid confrontation, which is what we do, you know, so then make sure you're with other people, some friends, never be alone with that person or there will be a point where conversation is necessary and it's going to be easier to do it than to wait and have this person in your face all the time when you could actually just say, um, I, I just have a feeling that guys are thinking that this is all about men annoying women, but it's really not. It can go both ways. You know, it can, it can actually happen very much both ways uh, in terms of work, in terms of uh, communication, just in every aspect of life. Confrontation is a strength, it's a muscle that needs to be built. And what is the muscle that needs to be built? Knowing how to do it in a pleasant manner. Right, that's, that's the muscle. So every time you face a situation, know that you're building your confrontation muscle. And you, you, if, you, if you're strong, you say the right no in the right way and it didn't work so well, you're learning it for the next time. But over time, you'll build that confrontation muscle. We avoid it and what do we do? By avoiding it, we, we don't... We put ourselves in situations where we're forced to be with this person when we could actually just um, say what we need to and it can help tremendously. It can even help that other person too a lot of times. It'll make things easier for them. A lot of times they think, oh, she's excited about me or he's excited about me. But if you would have cut it out from the beginning in a nice way, obviously, then you wouldn't have those expectations. A lot of times it's, you know... It, it could be, not always, but it could be your fault that somebody's driving you crazy. You know, it could, it could be. Don't say I'm blaming the victim now, but it could be that it's your fault because you've made yourself vulnerable enough for them to think that you're excited about them and you went the extra mile. Why did you, make, why did you have to be so nice? You didn't have to be too nice and, and add an extra text with an extra smile or, you know, or an extra love heart. You didn't have to do that. You could have just been... Simple, nice, and then that's it. It's the people that want to be extra nice that put themselves in a, in a, in a difficult situation. But commentation muscle is a whole study on its own. Um, and I'm not equipped enough to talk about it myself. So 
I'll just leave it. But that is a study on its own. But um, here I wrote another reason, which is laziness, which is I know how to deal with it, but I'm just relaxed. It's easier for me right now. I'm lazy, so I just leave it, what which is basically what we said. Um, listen, if, you, if you're, yeah, that could be another reason. I think apathetic is another reason. But I think that, you know, ha- having conversation with someone is, is because you're not apathetic, right? It's because you actually care. No, that, that's what I mean, right? I think, I think apathy is like a better word to use here than laziness. Like laziness, I feel like is a very surface level and apathy gets at something deeper. Well, I'm trying to say that with apathy, if you don't care at all, you won't have confrontation in the first place. You wouldn't feel the need to confront someone. Yeah, you'll, you'll just say, yeah, we'll, we'll, whatever. Oh, sorry, dude. I'm not interested. Goodbye. You know, apathy means you're very rude. Right? The confrontational people are very kind and nice, and they don't want to get into that rude situation. Okay? Apathetic people just don't talk. Hey, what's going on? <laughs> it's just like, oh, no, no, no conversation. Fine. That's not going to last. Confrontation really happens because people care. Okay, so um, I wrote a bu- bunch of other ideas. Uh, sometimes I wrote this, you want to be better than good. So you say, I'm going to be nice. I'm going to be extra nice. You know, that person's really bad. They're in a bad state. They're, they're on drugs and they're doing this and that. And I want to help them. I want to be better than good. Who says you have to be so special? Right? Sometimes you, because you want to be, it says in, in Michelet, don't make yourself too righteous. Don't try and be a big tzaddik. Don't say, I'm the best. I'm going to be extra better than all the rabbis. You know, Just don't put yourself in that situation. Sometimes because you make yourself too good, then you are causing yourself the problem of being in the wrong environment. With the mindset of, I'm going to help them. I'm going to change him. And then all of a sudden, I'm going to change. I'm going to help. And you have a whole crew of surroundings of people that are not healthy. Okay, so that's, that's another aspect. And all of this, by the way, I'm taking from the commentaries on this Mishnah that we're studying right now. Another aspect is a lack of faith. You put too much faith in this human being. Meaning, and, and you were basically touching on this as well. I, he's got money and he can help me. He's got something that I don't have. And I have all my faith in him. And when somebody has too much faith in a human being... That's dangerous. Why? They let you down. down. What happens if no one can look at, no one really is going to look after you completely. It's only because it's in their interest. Right? So that's what we call a lack of emunah. Faith means I trust God. Money does not come and my help is not going to come from anybody but God. He's a means to help me. Somebody with faith does not run after people ridiculously because they're famous or because they're they have so much money that maybe they'll help me, you know. Actually, you know what happens most times? The people that are not so famous, not so popular, not that much money, they're the ones that can help you way more than the famous, busy uh, people with lots of money, you know. They, they're the ones that have so much in their life as is that to put you on their mind as well, nah. The people that would actually help you are the ones that are going to be the same level below you by you helping them. Eventually, it will turn back on you and they will help you. Okay, so that's another one, lack of trust. And the fact that they're succeeding, that's another point. We see bad and we say, wait a second, bad people prosper. It's crazy. Look at this nice car. He's doing so well. 
all that drug sells good money, right? So, oh, you know, I may as well join in. So we, we think to ourselves, oh, bad is, is successful. They're doing the wrong thing, but look, they're managing. And it's all a facade. It's all fake. Because what happens is at some point they will get hit. And because you were close to them, you'll get pulled in, even if you're a good person. A lot of times people have told me, Rabbi, I don't know why things are so difficult for me. Well, sometimes you might be a great person, but the people you're around are not so great. And you're getting pulled in to the difficult situations that they are in. And they're pulling you into their problems as well. You know, so that's a, a very important thing uh, to think about. And the last one is, uh, we think we are too bad. We say to ourselves, ah, oh, and that's the last statement that it says here. Don't give up in punishment. What does that mean? A person says, ah, oh, I'm so bad. I'm evil. I'm a bad Jew. Right? I've heard that so many times. I'm a bad Jew. I'm so evil. I'm so bad. I'm so bad. So let me stay where I am. I'll never change. I'll be with those friends. I'll stay with them. I'll never move away from them. I'll... It's because I believe or I think to myself, I'm so far away. That's it. I'm done. And that's the statement here. So let's look at the language again and tie it into what we're saying. Uh, it says first, again, distance from a bad neighbor. Bad is someone who's bad to everyone. No matter humans, God, everyone. He hates all. No logic. Anything that comes in his way is bad. It's the worst type of bad. It's like the real type of wicked. So it says distance from their neighbor. Meaning... I don't know the guy. Yeah, but you're going to be his neighbor. That's a problem. And we'll see why. Don't even be their neighbor. And you see that this is all tied into the original statement where we just learned, where it says, judge everyone favorably. Give everyone benefit of the doubt. And then suddenly it's like, hey, distance from evil. Run away. Don't get near them. That doesn't make sense. It's kind of a contradiction, but it's not. It's not. I'm not judging them. For my own benefit then judging, giving benefit of the doubt, it doesn't apply. When it comes to giving benefit of the doubt, of course, for them, I give them benefit of the doubt. But for me, for my neighbor, and that's what he says, when a person buys his house, what do they look for first? They look for, well, how is the kitchen going to look? How is the flooring going to look? You know, what is the potential? Whenever you buy anything, what's the first thing you look for? What is the potential of the place? Well, I'll tell you something else, that there's something else we need to look for as well. Who are the neighbors and what kind of spiritual environment am I going to be in? That is another thing that we need to look for whenever we do something. And by the way, this is not just about neighbors. I wrote this down. I believe that this is about everything we do. You buy a certain clothing. How are people going to associate me with when I wear this clothing? I'll never forget. I went to Israel in the religious community and uh, they, they, they don't speak Hebrew. But there was this girl working at a desk. At a, at, in a shopping store and she had on her shirt I tell you it was crazy it was you know the F letter and then all different symbols and then a bunch of other things that I feel embarrassed to say and I was like wait a second there's no way you understand what's going on here right you, I mean it's a religious looking person religious community everyone's buying their food and just got like all this I was like oh what's going on so I didn't say anything because um, you know, they, no one there spoke English, and I didn't say anything. I left it, but the tr- maybe I should have, I don't know. But the truth is that that's exactly what I'm talking about. When you buy something, there's a lot of times you don't think. You say, okay, that looks cool, but what is it going to make people associate me with? You know, uh, What is the outcome? You, you buy like a flashy car, 
or something like that, which is cool. But then you have to ask yourself, okay, so how are people going to think of me when I do that? Ah, but people might tell me, and I've had this before, who cares what people think? As long as I'm good. You've heard this before? As long as I'm good, who cares what people think of me? Is that true? It says in Judaism, not true. You have to be clean from mankind and from God. As much as we want to be good to God, we want to be good to mankind. Meaning that everyone needs to think of us as good, even though I am good already. Why? Nikim tiyu mi Hashem Yisrael. With uh, when the Jewish people went into Israel, there were two, uh, there were two Gad and uh, Reuven, two of the tribes of the twelve tribes. When they were going into Israel, two of the twelve tribes says, "Listen, we want to. We have a lot of animals, so we don't want to go into Israel and get the land there. We want to have the land before we go into Israel." And Moses says, "You can't do that. We're going to go into battle and war." And you're going to just sit there and relax. You've got to be clean from God and from the Jewish people, he says. And from there we learn this concept. that You have to be clean from God and from the Jewish people. Even if you're right and you have the right reasons for something, be clean from other people. Why? For two reasons. One is because people will learn from you. If he does it, then I can do it. That's not good. Right? And also, if you're not clean from other people, you'll get pulled and they'll perceive you as a different person than who you really are. So let's say you, inside of you, you're very spiritual. But on the outside, you give off a picture that you're so much more chill than... Well, chill is a bad word. You should always be chill, right? But you're, inside, you're a good person. But you give off a picture that you're in a different environment. I don't want to embarrass any groups. But let's say you give off a picture that you're in a different environment. You're, you, know, you, you dress in a certain way. You... Um, you, know, you look in a certain fashion that makes people think very different of who you are. Well, is that a good policy to have for dating? No. You want, if you're looking for somebody that's going to... Well, if you're looking for someone that you're going to marry, right? you want to give off the image very similar on the outside as who... We're never going to be perfect. But you want to give off a very similar image on the outside as who you are from the inside. That way you're more likely that when you're sitting in front of someone, they're going to see through you. They're going to, the communication, you're going to find the right person. That's a very important rule in many aspects. But those are the two re- main reasons why uh, we should be clean from other human beings. Yes, sorry. Okay. Um, you can so just call out. I, I didn't. have a question yes. around, you said you should care about what others, like how others perceive you. Yes. Sometimes when you are confrontational and you do what's best for you or like even if you're in a situation where you're in a really unhealthy relationship and you break up with that person, they can start talking, like saying bad stuff about you. And like sometimes there's also a lot of like negativity that's also not true that goes around. So like I can see what you're saying about like you should care about what others think, but... You shouldn't in certain situations. Let's def- redefine that. That's important what you're saying, right? A person should say that there has to be a balance. And what is the balance? There's a differentiation. If I'm doing right the right thing, let's say um, I'm in a relationship with someone that's not for me, and I'm doing the right thing, that's for my own health. Okay, 
So then who am I caring about myself? True? That's for my own health. I'm doing things within the boundary of Judaism. Then you should not care about what people think at all. Why? Because they're thinking of me as bad. But let's say, let's say let, let me give you a different example. Okay? Let's say I'm doing something really good, but no one knows about it. Let's say I'm, I have a, 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 a non-profit. Okay? And all of a sudden, my nonprofit starts getting floods of donations. You know, like these people that open GoFundMe pages. And then all of a sudden, it's like $50 million goes in there. Right? Should I say to myself, listen, I've got all this money that's coming in. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, I'll, I'll keep the money. It'll be in my account. And I'll, I'll decide where I'm going to put it. Or should I be very transparent? with the money, even though I know that I'm going to be a good person either way. You see, there's certain situations where it's not just for me, it's for how others... I'm doing the right thing. I'm talking about when I'm doing the right thing. right? And then I'm saying to myself, okay, I'm doing the right thing, and I don't want others to think of me in any way that I'm doing the wrong thing. So I want to make it clear. This, right? So let's say, let's say, like you said... I'm, I'm trying to get clear with it myself. But let's say, let's say as you said, okay, I'm, there's a differentiation. I'm, 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 I'm with someone that's really bad for me. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, what, what is everyone going to think? Okay, how is everyone going to think of me? For my own health and within the boundaries of Judaism, is, is the right thing to leave or to stay with this relationship? The right thing would be to leave, right? If, if it's really unhealthy and so on. The right thing would be to leave. The pressure of everybody else, who cares? Right now I'm doing what's right. But the right thing when it comes to money, or in that situation, is actually to be transparent. So within the boundaries of what's right and wrong, right? if I am doing something which is right anyway, and I could be transparent about it, then I should. I, I made $50 million in my non-profit. Should I be transparent that my $50 million came into my account and I explained to everybody how I'm using that money? Of course I should. It's going to be better for you as well. You're also sort of forced to at this point. Well, you know, you would be eventually. So solve it early and on, early on and end. You know, right from the beginning, solve your issue by being transparent. Um, you know, if, if let's say I'm doing something that's wrong. So let's, like we said, I'm, I'm with a bunch of guys that smoke... Uh, not just weed, but they smoke something else, and it's like, That's it's okay. uh, whatever, right? I'm, I'm with a bunch of people that are doing the wrong things. Should I say, who cares what people think? Whether I'm doing, I'm not with them. I'm not with them. Yeah, but that in itself is a problem. Because that in itself of what you're doing is a problem. You, think that, you can be guilty by association? Yes. That, look, if you live next to a bunch of, if you live with gangs... And you say to yourself, I'm not a gang, I'm here to help everyone, right? There's a chance that you can get shot. Oh, there was a shootout, you're in the neighborhood, but there's a chance that you can get shot. Is it your fault? No, but you got shot. Why? Because you were there. That's what we're saying, you know, spiritually also, that's exactly what we're saying. Distance yourself from bad and don't get close to evil. First distance yourself from a bad neighbor, even if I'm not talking to him. He's my neighbor, doesn't matter. You get part of it, it's... It says, Woe is to the evil and woe is to his neighbor. Because he got pulled in for no reason. And he's a good person. Okay, yeah, one second. 
And it says, don't cleave to a wicked person. Don't get close to the wicked because you might say, okay, I can reason with him. I can talk to him. Maybe I'll help him. And what's what we're saying? No, that's exactly what we said beforehand. The, the reason, one of the reasons that we stay close to bad people is because we think we can help them. And you're being too good. You're being better than good. Don't be too good for your own good. Right? For your own sake, don't be too good. Distance completely. So that is uh, the general theme of this Mishnah. Yes. Yes, yeah, so I just wanted to make a point though that sometimes like kind of what you're saying, there are certain like times where like depends on what, what do you consider bad and what do you consider good. You could be in like a group of people that they might think that this certain act is bad and you might be, uh, you might think that like in, like in other, in other surroundings that it's actually good or whatever, you know, it's kind of, it would have to depend on every Look, a lot of times I have this argument with people and it's based on the argument of is there an absolute truth or not? Okay, is there really something that everyone needs to agree is bad? Right, does everyone here agree that murder is bad? Yeah. Okay, well maybe, right. it's, maybe not everyone's truth is true. Maybe some people have their own truth. Maybe that's not an absolute truth. Maybe everyone has their own truth. So then how can you say that murder is bad? So there has to be a borderline absolute truth. Okay, that we all have to agree on. Where did we get that from? Well, if you, ha- you don't have Torah, you have a problem. Right? If you don't have Judaism, I don't know where you got that from. Right? Who says your truth is more right than mine? But there has to be an underlying truth. Okay? And once I have that boundary of what is an underlying truth, then I will be able to define whether this person's bad for me or not. I can't just say everyone's got their own definition of bad. No. There is an underlying definition of bad and good. And we need to define it and learn what it is. Enough of this uh, wish-washing environment. That's how you say it in England. Enough of this environment where, right, Mark? Wish-washing? Wishy-wash. Enough of this talk where we say, we say uh, bad doesn't exist and good, everyone has their own good, everyone's good. No, we have to define what bad and good is to know what to refrain from so that we can be healthy and strong and, f- and thrive. All right. Okay, so that's uh, the last statement of those three was don't give up from punishment. There's multiple explanations of this. One explanation is don't give up in punishment, meaning thinking to yourself, look, bad, get away with it. They're successful. They make money. They're doing well. Let me continue being their neighbor. Don't give up. Don't, don't give up thinking that punishments and that uh, karma doesn't happen. It will happen. And if you're in that environment, you'll get swallowed in and somehow you'll get pulled in as well. So it's better to avoid it. Okay, so that's the theme of this, uh, of this discussion here. There's what, there is a story of a famous uh, Hasidic, uh, the Ruzhina Rebbe. There was a, one of his students who was a Hasidic uh, teacher. And he was very good at math. He was a good accountant. And there were a bunch of thieves that offered him a great amount of money to be their accountant, to calculate the money for them and work out their uh, bills or whatever. And he did it. And he made tremendous amount of money. And he said to himself, they said to him, you know, we want to hire you full time. So, you know, that's good, that's good money. He got pulled in. And slowly but surely, it started one day, two days. Eventually came part of this whole group and he was actually part of the whole thing, like part of this big scam. And it took many years until... He sees a friend of his that was in school with him when he was a younger kid. 
And he looks at him and he's like, where am I and where is he? Like suddenly he realized that we were together in school, learning all those innocent things. And look where I am now. And immediately he quit. He didn't tell anything, you know, those days, no phones. But he went running to the Rujina Rabbi and started studying by him again and stopped his ways. But the message of that story is that it, it goes, having bad environment doesn't seem bad to the person that's doing it. It's like, okay, whatever, they're not so bad. Whatever. It starts off like that and it goes downhill slowly to a point where you're like 10 years down the line, you're like, where, where am I? What did I do? And it takes a certain moment to wake up to realize that that was a terrible mistake. So anyway, that was uh, that Mishnah. Let's continue and finish off with one more and maybe even a story uh, to finish off. Okay, so Mishnah number eight says like this, Yehuda, the son of Tabai, and Simon, the son of Shotach, they were also the Zugot, the two leaders of the Jewish people at that time, of the Talmud. And they said like this, wisdom for life. Are you ready? They said, when sitting in judgment, whilst being a judge, don't be a lawyer. If you're the judge, don't be a lawyer. What does that mean? Hmm. And... When the litigants are standing before you, when these people are standing before you, should they be considered innocent or guilty? Neither. Look at them as guilty. How do we say it in America? Mm. Here we're saying guilty until proven innocent. Wait, is this in like a, like a Sanhedrin type of Yes, this is about Jewish law. As a judge in Jewish law, it's not innocent until proven guilty. It's the, opposite. the judge needs to look at it. Everyone else needs to be quiet. But the judge needs to look at it as guilty until proven innocent. And we need to ask, why is this relative to our lives? What's this to do with me? I'm not a judge. I'm not in a court. Any lawyers here? There's no lawyers here. What's this to do with me? So we need to ask, why is this a relatable story to me? So when they're both standing in front of you, consider both of them guilty. And what about when they leave the case and you've told one he, he needs to pay up and the other one doesn't? Right? What happens when the case is over? Case is uh, sojourned. When they're about to leave, done. You've made your point. The judge has said his, uh, his ruling. Should they be looked at as innocent or guilty? Before the ruling, they're considered guilty. After the ruling, only one of them is guilty, right? They're both innocent. Wait, what? Ah, even the one that stole, let's say, and he was caught, and the witnesses prove it, and he was bad. You gave your ruling. Both are innocent. Completely different way than we think, right? What happens to somebody who is caught with a? a scam or something, and he goes to court, right? After the judge is finished, what happens? We find out who's guilty. Oh, mincemeat they make out of him. He's on every single news. He's on every channel. They make a movie out of him eventually, right? There's no end, poor guy. Yeah. Why? Is it, is it... He already had his case. He's got, he was convicted to prison for 10 years. Well, leave the guy alone. Yes? Is being uh, found, uh, for lack of a better word, uh responsible or at fault for something in the Jewish court of law, does that give you, uh, does that in, in essence perform some of the act of teshuva for you? Is that what you're considering? Yes. 
Because we know that he's already, and this is a very important, powerful lesson for life, I'm going to tell you. Guys, this is gold. All of this teachings are gold. Okay, but it's innocent, sorry, it's guilty until proven, uh, guilty until proven guilty, and then they're innocent. Completely different way of thinking. Once Once you've given the jury and you've said your thing, innocent, both of them are innocent. Completely different way of thinking. Because once you find out the truth, they have accepted it. When they leave your courtroom, having accept, have accepted the judgment, you have to regard them equally as righteous. Right? That's what he says. They leave, they should both equally be looked at as righteous. What does that mean? Okay, so first of all, don't be a lawyer if you're a judge. What does that mean? Why not? I have the litigants in front of me. I'm the judge of the case. Don't be the lawyer. What, what does the lawyer do? He defends the person. He says, okay, you know what? You, should, you shouldn't say that. Don't say that. Let me tell you what to say. Right? Don't do that. Why is that a problem? It's a, it's a conflict of interest. Right? It's the a judge co- is supposed to be impartial. He's got to be out of abstract. He can't be involved in the case. Mm-hmm. And he has to look at both. and Look at them as if he's not involved at all. Why? Because the minute he starts giving advice... Then the guy who's hearing his advice, the other one's going to say, oh, he's favoring him. Ah, you get twisted. The whole court case gets twisted. So no getting involved as a lawyer. But this means something else for us as well. Okay? If I am the, law- if I'm the judge of a certain situation, don't be the lawyer of that situation also. Mm-hmm. Right? So for instance, um, as somebody's applying for a job. Okay, or I know something very well. I'm the judge. I know it. I know the answer. Don't be the one that jumps up to give the answer first. Right? Don't be the one that says, oh, here's the, here's the case that I can, uh, this is my explanation or this is my understanding. Wait. Wait for the case to be fully, fully given over. Let's say you're um, interviewing someone. Okay? Some, someone's in, you're interviewing someone. Don't be the one that gives them suggestions whilst you're interviewing them, right? That's, that's horrible. I think that when uh, you come to the interview, you should be doing this, that, and the other. That's not what they need to hear, right? That you, you are right now the person in position that's the, the judge of the situation. That's not the time for you to also be the one that's giving advice to that person, it can be hurt them. It can be something which is very painful. This is very important for every aspect of life. Whenever you're the one that has the upper hand, don't be the one that's giving the advice to the person with the lower hand in the moment. You can do it afterwards. You can speak to him. But at the moment, don't be that one. Okay? And then we said, when they're standing in front of you, look at them as wicked, as, as, as guilty. Okay, when you're the judge and they're standing in front of you, look at them as both as guilty. Why? Why? Shouldn't you look at them as both innocent, righteous, they're good? Huh? Because you know most people that step into your court are uh, either Rashaim or Benoni. Okay, good. Well, most people, if they look good, maybe they can put on a great face, right? People know how to look very good when they need to. It's a very important concept is that people know how to put on a facade, a, a, a picture, that they are much better than what they really are. So when you're the judge of a situation, right? don't just judge 
on how they look on the outside and say, oh, this guy, this guy looks innocent. That guy looks completely innocent. He's good. That one's innocent. No. Innocent. If you want to be the judge of the situation, you have to look at both as completely guilty. So that way I have no favoritism at all to any of them. And my, my judgment is not going to be twisted at all. Okay, that's uh, w- one aspect. But let me translate this to life also. Okay, we're going to try and see how this relates to life as well. Why should they leave as righteous when you finished with it? Why should they leave as righteous? You finished with the case. You said, okay, you are the one, clearly the one that stole the money and you have to pay him back. One of them is for sure wrong. One of them is for sure good. Clear. You should look at both of them as innocent. Why? They made, you've made the decision. Sorry, what did he say? They own up to accept the They've accepted your judgment. They've walked away. How is this important to life? Listen, my friends, this is, ma- this is amazing. A lot of times you see something that's wrong and you say something. Let's say, give you an example. My kids, okay, my kids, uh, let's say, they drop milk on the floor. And what's my reaction? I'm the judge of the situation. And I, I say, I get frustrated. I'm the judge. So I've given my feelings already. Not only that, now I start labeling the child. Ah, you're, you're wrong. You're, right? You see, you drop milk. You always drop things. Shlomazel, what's that going to do to the confidence of the child? Right? That's what happens when somebody's actually been in a case where they made a mistake. They're human. People make mistakes. But once they've made that mistake, are we going to label them as an evil person from now on? No way. We've got to always give as much as we want ourselves to have hope. We've got to give them hope as well. Once they've heard their case, this is also very important. You get in relationships. This is something that can happen a lot. Is that somebody has an argument. And what happens? You've made your point. And then you continue. Not only yet, but you always do that. right? Or you've made the point, then you continue. You dig in, dig in. No, you've made your point. That's it. The, the other side said, I'm sorry. Oh, you've been the judge in this situation. You've said your point that you were hurt and you made them say sorry. That's it. Why? Because if you keep making them repeat that they're sorry, next time they're just not going to tell you. Next time they're going to, there's no relationship here. They're labeled that way. What's that going to do to the child? Kill the child's confidence. No, there's no hope for him. There's, there's amazing stories of, Different. There's a, there's a story of, um, uh, I once heard an amazing story of this teacher that uh, this, this kid, he, he would always, um, he would always gel his hair, make himself look super cool in his classroom, like you know, annoy the teacher with his gel and whatever. And eventually at some point the teacher said, okay, I want you to read a story. And he made him read the story of Joseph. What was the story of Joseph? Joseph was, and now it says, he was a young lad and he looked good and he always made himself look good. So when he read that part, he said, read that story. The teacher said to him, read that story. Read it again, read it again. Read the story again. And eventually the, guy, the kid started realizing, you know, 10-year-old kid, and he's realizing that the teacher's making him read the story of Joseph 10 times. It's about the kid that's doing his hair. And the whole classroom starts laughing at this kid. And this kid goes home broken, weeping. He 
he says, my whole classroom embarrassed me. You know, they made me feel like dirt. He goes to his father. He tells him, dad, you don't know what they did, right? What would a bad dad do? What would a bad dad do? Why were you doing that? Right? Why were you doing it anyway? You shouldn't have done that in class. What did he say? I think that's the best description I can ever give of you. You're like Joseph, the great Joseph. That's who you are. He's so right. You're the best. You're the Joseph of all Josephs. You're the full, one of the fathers of the Jewish people. That's what he told his son. Do you know who Joseph became? Yeah, it's true. He always looked after himself. But do you know who he became? The savior of the Jewish people. That's who you are. And that young kid says that those words that his father gave him, gave him strength for the rest of his life. Confidence for certain words that we give our children, right? Either can destroy them or build them. But those words was like, it gave him strength for life. So when somebody does something wrong, and you've said your point, the, the smart person says, okay, I'm done. I've said my point. I've been the judge in this situation. They're innocent now. You know, once my, uh, my nephew dropped something, did something which was like really silly, and he got embarrassed. He got very embarrassed. And someone told him off. And I'll never forget, my brother-in-law says to the person that was telling him off, enough. He's already, he already learned his lesson. He already got embarrassed. Look at his face. He got embarrassed. Why do you have to do more? That's the message. It's like, look, sometimes you don't have to even say anything. Especially when a kid drops something on the floor. What, you can't drop something on the floor? We don't make mistakes. So there's, they, they make mistakes too. Anyway, so what's, uh, what's the final point? I want to fi- finish off um, with this final point. There's a famous story with Rabbi Arya Levine, a great rabbi in Israel, who was one of the founders of, of, of the rabbinics of Israel when the, when, the start, when the state started many years ago. And there was this kid that was coming to school. And all of a sudden, this kid started having lots of money. He was giving out cash to everyone. He's giving all his friends money. So the teachers realized something's going on. This is something strange. Where's he getting all this money from? So he goes over to the kid, Rabari Levine, and with love, who he was, a great teacher and a great rabbi, he says to him, what's going on? You never had money, and suddenly you're always yeah, giving out all this money. So the kid, he owned up. He says, you know, my dad's wallet is always around. Um, recently, I've seen lots of money in there, and I've been, you know, whenever he's not around, I take half of it. <laughs> so Rabari Levine said, you know, I'm... You know, he, made, he made the decision, of course, without telling the kid. Uh, he made the decision to speak to the parent, to tell him that your son is taking a lot of money from your wallet. And he went to, his, he went to his, uh, this kid's father and told him, you know, I, I spoke to your son. Recently, he's been coming with a lot of money to school. And there's been a lot of money that he's giving out. And I, I spoke to him kindly. And it came out that he was taking money from your wallet. The father started crying. He says, oh no. It's because I never knew about this that my mother-in-law passed away. He said, Ari Levine says, what do you mean? He says, for the past few months, my mother-in-law moved into our house. She lost her husband. Uh, my mother-in-law moved into a house. She's a very old lady. And uh, she gets involved with everything in her house. She's a, she's a boss. She gets involved. 
And at some point, we, I realized that there's money missing in my wallet all the time. And we, we, me and my wife, we were thinking that maybe she's been taking it, you know, she uses it, she gets, goes around. So we thought that maybe she took it. So we asked her, no worries. We asked her and she said, she said, no, it wasn't me. But we really were thinking that she doesn't know what's going on. She's not focused. She's very old, not focused. She's taking money. So we decided that so much money is being taken. We're going to put it in an old age home. And as soon as they put in old age home, she was so upset that they accused her of such a thing and that it wasn't working out for her to be there and all that. And she went into a state of depression and eventually she passed away. A very sad story, but the father told Rabari Levine, he says, if only we would have looked into the situation properly and wouldn't have come too quickly to our conclusions that the money was going away. It couldn't have been my child. It had to have been someone else. It would have taken our time. Maybe she would have stayed alive. So, it, you know, sometimes it takes uh, being too quick to come to conclusions that we can either build people, all this these concepts, either build people or destroy them. When, when we find out that someone did something slightly wrong and the whole world's talking about it, Right? Maybe they're innocent. Maybe they're embarrassed that it happened. Maybe they didn't want it to happen. Look, of Alec Baldwin, right? The whole story that everyone's going on about. I don't know the story. I'm not talking about it. I wasn't there and I'm not talking about it. Yeah, but they shouldn't have had it. I don't care. Was it you? Were you there? Are you the judge? And even if you are, trust me, if he has any humanity in him, he's completely embarrassed and upset about what happened. In fact, Horrified about what happened. So, isn't that enough? No. If not, so then the courts should deal with it. Fine. But why is it our business to go around shaming the person even more than he is already? And thank you for listening. Any questions? Anyone got any questions? Or... Thank you.